Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that post next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mears. Hunt now up. They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Hey, thanks for your patience, huh? 5.05 p.m. Eastern. It's Monday, June 13th. The year is 2022. It's episode 352 of the Anik and Florian podcast. Good to be back stateside, kid. I mean, I feel pretty blown right now. Uh, let's be honest. But uh, we got a little say coffee in the system and we're rallying. Uh, just got back from Singapore. Had four hours at LAX. I actually was able to take a shower at the airport and nice. uh, bang the red eye to Miami, kiss the children, kiss the fucking babies, and here we are putting our priorities in order. Good to see your uh, your your face, kid. How you doing? Good to see you as well, man. It's amazing what a shower will do, right? You make, you kind of feel human again. You're like, ah, that's exactly what I needed. Yeah, like shower that guy off, that guy yeah, coming from Singapore. It's uh, tough. People have no idea, you know, for – when you're doing something like broadcasting as a job and you're dealing with a long ass flight, you're dealing with little to no sleep, you're dealing with the time change on top of it. You don't just show up to your job and just kind of go about things, right? You have to be like, yeah, 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 yeah. But podcast guy yeah. for oh. hours and hours and hours. You can't just fall asleep on the job or you can't right. be just like, right. right now, I'm just going to chill. You cannot chill because you're on television. And sometimes when we talk this way about our broadcasting careers, it registers as complaints to some people, you know, yeah, but no, even sure. like right now, whether I like it or not, right, I got to put on a shiny, happy, fat face and pretend <laughs> that this is where I want to be as opposed to with my children. Now, I just got to hang out with them and babysit for a little bit. So I can tell you with complete veracity, like there's nowhere I'd rather be right now than <laughs> recapping UFC 275, just given the magnitude of the card. So I really do want to be here right now. Uh, and we do have a lot to get to uh, today, MMA reporter and content editor for TSN Sports, Aaron Bronstetter, will be with us. Of course, big gun Brian Petrie for the main event challenge when we spin it forward later in the show. And then uh, Ray Longo scheduled to join us here at the bottom of the hour if uh, if he is so inclined. So, uh, And one thing, too, we were flying back Singapore Airlines. And, you know, the, uh, the flight attendant, I don't know if you can call them stewardesses anymore. But, um, you know, she said to me and Bruce, like, oh, you guys, you know, you didn't eat dinner. You slept the whole time. And, it, you know. 
it was weird sort of waking up at uh, at 3 a.m. I do like that 7 a.m. first fight, though. But people got to understand this, right? UFC 274 was 15 fights, right? UFC 275 was 11 fights, right? Now, we lost a couple. But had UFC 275 held together or been scheduled for 15 fights, right? We start 5 a.m. in Singapore instead of 7 a.m., which means I'm running through the streets at maybe 1.30 a.m., right? So the magnitude of that is huge, right? Right. We lost two hours of broadcast time going 11 fights versus 15. So um, I think some of our listenership would find it fascinating if we just sort of talked about all the inner workings of a uh, of fight week and trying to uh, to be on. You know, um, we still haven't had a perfect show and I don't think that we will. But uh, all right. UFC 275 was sort of a perfect show. I mean, it's the front runner for card of the year. I'm not the memory guy, Ken Flo, when it comes to mixed martial arts, but I can't remember calling a more compelling championship fight in my 11 years on a microphone for the UFC than Yuri Prohaska versus Glover Teixeira. So uh, let us start there. We have a new undisputed UFC light heavyweight champion at 432 of round five. It is Prohaska by submission, as everybody expected. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Dude, uh, what what a fight. Listen, I'll be the first one to say I've been critical of the UFC's 205-pound division. There are a lot of fights that I, I kind of just didn't really care about. Glover then comes on the scene as this 40-year-old guy who I've been watching forever. He ends up upsetting, um, you know, Bojovic uh, in dramatic fashion, getting that to me. And I was like, I want to watch this guy. This is amazing. And he goes against another guy, Neri Prohaska, one of the guys that I've been most excited about right. in a long time when it comes to the heavier weight classes. He gets to the championship fight, fights another guy who I've looked up to in Glover Teixeira, and this is exactly what the 205-pound division needed. I mean, they injected so much life and so much drama uh, because of that one fight. Um, I, I was just blown away. I, and again, for big guys, I saw a lot of technique back and forth. Yeah. I, I saw a fascinating stylistic matchup between two guys who couldn't be further apart. Uh, so just that alone, I was really intrigued by. Uh, and then the back and forth, the swings. I mean, I actually, I seriously have chills huh. thinking about it because oh. of the dramatic shifts and who was winning that fight. How close were both of those guys to winning that fight through, throughout? I mean, each round they had oh. opportunities to win. It was insane. Hearing you talk about it, I'm like praying that the call like did it any sort of justice because it was so back and forth um yuri prohaska's toughness you know i don't have a long script today but certainly that's at the top of it i mean any question that there might have been as to whether or not he had championship medal or heart to go with all the skill set and uh the samurai spirit uh he is just he is a he it's a great champion for the ufc to have in what has long been the glamour division you know He's not just a character, right? I mean, this is, he is absolutely authentic. I had hoped that was the case. Yeah. Uh, I had seen it in previous fights, both his fights outside of the UFC and what we've seen so far in the UFC. Um, and once again, he just put the stamp on it, right? I mean, that's the cherry on top uh, of the frosting as far as I'm concerned, as far as a guy who is truly willing to die in there yeah, uh, and is going to do whatever it takes yeah. uh, to get the win. And I, and I thought he showed a lot of intelligence and in how he was adapting as well. And as you, you know, uh, sarcastically said, uh, you know, about the submission him winning by submission. I mean, I don't think anybody, right. Uh, 
thought that was going to happen. If someone's going to get the submission, it was going to be the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, Clover yeah. Teixeira. Yeah. And it just shows his tenaciousness. And yeah. when he saw that opportunity yeah. to go for it, it didn't matter, didn't matter whether it was with strikes or submissions. He was looking for that finish, dude. I'm not saying it's Anthony Fluffy Hernandez versus Adolfo Vieta and that it's totally like right. a submission via attrition, right? But in talking to John Hackleman after the fight, Glover did tweak his neck in the fight. I'm sure you tweak a lot of fucking things in a fight yeah. like that, right? Um, Especially but, at 42 years old, yeah. <laughs> but I think it was sort of more a byproduct of um, some neck discomfort than maybe like tapping to a, a blood Correct. choker or yeah. a carotid artery, I don't, right? I mean, like. I don't want Yuri shaking my hand, dude. I don't want right. to yeah. yeah. tweaking my neck. That's the thing. The neck is so vulnerable, John. It doesn't matter really how you do it. If you're that strong, you're that much of a beast, you're going to get the tap. Yeah. So um, Prohaska's defensive grappling. So obviously in our fighter meeting, there was a lot of talk about that. And one thing that he said, I, I can't have this man off of my back. And certainly it's a case of pick your poison, right? Oftentimes choosing whether or not to have a man on your back or get mounted, right? You see why I play golf, right? These are the choices, folks, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, okay? You want the sweaty dude? No, I mean, you want this dude on, on your back with your body locked down, compromising your breathing? Or, or do you want him mounting you and punching you in the face? Um, right. It seemed like more often than not, Prohaska chose to be mounted. And uh, I don't know, I just give him a lot of credit for for as amateurish as my opinion is a lot of credit for the defensive grappling out of Yuri Prohaska. Dude, no question about it. And I thought you set it up beautifully, right? I mean, problems can be solved. Dilemmas cannot. It's either bad or very bad. And when you have a guy in Glover Teixeira who understands position and knows how to use it, to use his striking as an advantageous uh, mechanism to advance or to get you to roll to your stomach, um, and not to mention, you know, the cut and the blood that Yuri was dealing with and the fact that he was able to stay composed and credit, by the way, to, to the cut man. I, I don't recall yeah. who that was, did a phenomenal job. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, again, to, to, to take those kind of blows, uh, a lesser man uh, would have submitted or tapped out or chosen to go belly down uh, as opposed to take those shots. And Yuri just isn't cut from that, that same kind of cloth. So Glover Teixeira's six-fight winning streak comes to an end. Now, if he had been in a fight like this on the front end of that winning streak, right, Glover, in 2018 when maybe he had some negative emotions to training, I don't think he survives that beating. This is like a prime Teixeira, man, just in terms of the output in training and the strength and conditioning. He certainly put himself in position at 42 years old to fight at this pace. I, I'm, I'm totally blown away by Glover Teixeira, and you can understand – on the heels of that performance, why he would want to continue. Now, I did spend some time with John Hackleman briefly after the fight, and obviously you know he's kind of been through the Chuck Liddell thing, right, when he wanted Chuck to retire and didn't want to corner him for a return fight and all of those things. You know, I saw Hackleman and I said, you got to push for the rematch because I do believe that is the fight right now at 205 pounds with respect to Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill and everybody else. But I don't know, man. Like, I feel like Hackleman sees his student just really beat up at 42 and isn't going to have much of an appetite for a rematch. That being said, I wouldn't be at all surprised if it's Madison Square Garden, first or second week of November, Glover to share. That's his home arena right now in Danbury, Connecticut. He'll sell a lot of tickets in New York, not that we need his help, uh, but I think that's the fight, the rematch. What are your thoughts on Teixeira in defeat, the performance, and ultimately where he goes from here? Yeah, listen, I don't think, you know, him slowing down uh, or, or getting caught in that choke had 
much to do with his age. I, I think that he really has fought a lot smarter. Yeah, he made some mistakes in that fight. I don't think that has anything to do with age. I thought that the body shots really took its toll on him. That's what we really was really yeah. slowing him down throughout that fight. And Yuri is an opportunist, man. He's a guy, he truly is a samurai who went for that killer instinct, got it, uh, got it done when he needed to. Uh, and I think when Glover goes back and watches that fight, there's a lot of adjustments that he can make uh, to come back stronger and better. Um, but I still think he's going strong. Uh, he is uh, looking phenomenal at this point. Uh, put on one of the best fights in, at 205 pounds in UFC history. Um, and I think he's got a phenomenal chance of getting that belt back. Now, I'm sure Yuri is going to make a lot of those same uh, adjustments as well. But I, there's no other fight that I want to see at 205 pounds. That's the yeah. fight to make, John. Yeah. I think it's yeah. simple. Um, yeah. MSG, I mean, come on. That's a done deal. Yeah. Man, that close-up camera is something today, Cody. We should have gone wide today, I think, given the <laughs> fucking bags under my eyes. That main event was absolutely insane. And it does, you know, memories of you and me walking out of the Brisbane Entertainment Center there, December 7, 2013, just hoping that people back in the States had seen Mark Hunt and Bigfoot Silva. And uh, I don't know. You know, we have a lot to get to today. And, like, I just want to sit here and fucking marinate in this main event. Certainly more with Aaron Bronstetter and uh, and Ray Longo with his New York accent coming up here in about 15 minutes. But let us uh, transition to Valentina Shevchenko. Seventh successful defense of her title. It is a split decision win for Shevchenko over Tyler Santos. Uh, I know you and others maybe felt like Tyler Santos was up 3-0. A lot to unpack with the co-main event. So uh, have at it, my friend. What do you have? Listen, I, I, I want to be clear here. I, I picked Valentina to win, okay? So I, I thought Je Shevchenko was going to go out there uh, and not only win it and be relatively dominant, but I did mention that Tyla had a good shot. I, I, I liked the way that, um, you know, she's been developing her skills in the UFC. I think she's taken the right fights. Um, and, you know, physically, she's impressive. Uh, and technically, she has some really good skills that Valentina needed to worry about, particularly, I thought, on the ground. And I thought that's where um, she was exposing some of Valentina's uh, vulnerabilities there. I thought Valentina was initiating takedowns that she didn't have to initiate. Um, I don't know if it was she felt maybe pressure to go out there and, and finish or maybe beat uh, Tyla at her own game. I, I don't know what it was, but it seemed like she was – um, I don't know, but moving out of desperation sometimes when she really didn't need to. Um, I, I didn't think she was wowing on the feet necessarily. So maybe she felt pressure on the feet like she needed to do something on the ground. But um, she was playing right into Santos's game. And I thought because of that, Santos won those first three rounds. And I didn't really see a turnaround in Shevchenko too much until after they clashed heads. Um, and, and certainly Shevchenko, as any fighter would, especially any uh, very good southpaw would, was exposing that right side because that's where the, the right side of the blow sure. uh, happened on Santos. And and that's where I thought she won the last two rounds. Now, you know, I, the first three weren't necessarily like there was one that was close for sure. Uh, uh, OK, but um, I, I thought that Santos who's grappling was the difference. And, you know. I don't know. Here's the thing. I was going back and forth and you saw some of the, the comments on Twitter and a lot of people were saying, well, you know, th there's no damage. Well, it's a grapple. The grappling portion has nothing to do with damage necessarily. It has to do with effective grappling. And if you, and if you have damage from those positions, 
that's great too. But you're talking about kind of the striking portion in conjunction with the grappling. So, okay, if you're in guard, right? If I'm on top, I hit a takedown on you. I'm on guard. Um, you know that I get that. That's just control, right? But if I'm controlling you more than you. Uh, did any striking in that fight, then I would win that round. Now, uh, if you're actively trying to pass, uh, that that would be considered aggression. If I pass the guard, um, is that effective? I would think so. What about advancing into mount or back mount? I would say that's effective, absolutely. Huh. What about trying a submission? I would say that's effective and being looking for uh, a move that is going to finish the fight. And it's funny because people are like, well, she was never in trouble. If she was never in trouble from the back, which you are very exposed at, why was she defending? If you are defending a submission, you are stopping that person from tapping you. You are stopping that person from yes. finishing you the same way that if I'm covering up or trying to throw back and I like hunched over because of a body shot or if you rock me with a shot to the chin and I'm doing everything possible to survive – it doesn't matter if I'm surviving. You still won that round and maybe even got a 10-8. You, you almost finished me. Right. And, and people, for some reason, don't make that same analogy to grappling. They see it as two different things. Like, uh, and, and what's funny, I, I, and I know uh, judges talk about damage being a thing, but when you look at the actual rules, it talks about effective grappling and effective striking. And people seem to kind of forget about that, John. And I, I could go on and I will go on, but I'm going to let you talk and, and retort here. I kind of want you to go on. If I'm being <laughs> honest, you know, I'll just interject and say that I talked to one of the best judges in the business. And one thing he said, unfortunately, is that effective striking is just much easier to score. And I do believe generally even the elite judges have a hard time understanding how to score effective grappling. And so guys like you and Daniel Cormier, and I'm not going to sit here and say forget the criteria because I do think education is paramount. We have to learn and accept the criteria until it gets rewritten. Um, but, you know, you guys know what constitutes effective grappling in a round, and those are effective grappling rounds. Most of my contemporaries, Felder, DC, Kenflo, Cruzy, you all had Santos up 3-0. Now, certainly rounds four and five were easy to score. When most of you listen or watch this podcast, Tyler Santos will have already had surgery for what is definitely a broken orbital, you know, uh, certainly a huge factor in this fight. Um, but Kenny, I just feel like grappling doesn't get the credit it deserves. And I, I don't know how we cross that threshold and get there. And, and you're right. And listen, the same way, right? Um, I could hit you 20 times in a round, John. And if you hit me with one shot that whole round, and it's something that stumbles me, right. almost gets you to finish me. Who do you think won that round? You did. Right. It doesn't matter. That's why I hate when people like point to statistics and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, but they're not looking. Now, if that one shot almost finished me, then what the hell's the difference of that one big shot or to me almost submitting you with the rear naked choke? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And here's the other thing about grappling, which I want people to think about. Can I rear naked choke you from the guard? No. Can I rear naked choke you from half guard? Can I rear naked choke you from side control? My point is, is that giving up your back is a yes, huge dude. fundamental advantage across all of combat. If I have all, you have all your troops and I come up from behind you, I'm taking you by surprise and I am fucking with you because you are not prepared for that. And I yeah. have a huge advantage because 
your back is to me. Yeah. Right. And that is just not rewarded in the same fashion as, say, a big shot during a round. And it's ridiculous to me. Well, I mean, think about what I said off the top about Yuri Prohaska, you know, yeah. mount me all day long. <laughs> right. Don't go near my back. And how and, and uh, by the way, who would you say is the better grappler? If Yuri and Glover had a grappling match, who do you think would win that grappling match? Pure grappling. Well, I I'd probably bet on Yuri because there'd be a whole lot of value. No, I'd be Glover. Yeah. Um, right. Glover would. No, but my, my point. Sorry, course. I want to finish this. No, of course. Is that Yuri, who is an inferior grappler, the way he caught Glover is by taking his back. He didn't even have hooks. He just was on his back and just started right. cranking away at the neck. Game over against right. a superior grappler. Okay. Thank you. So we're going to have a lot more on Shevchenko and Santos in terms of the scorecards, I think, with Aaron Bronstetter. I, at least that's my forecast. So, um, you know, Valentina Shevchenko this week for the first time with us in the fighter meetings was talking about Amanda Nunes or Juliana Pena, right? She didn't want to engage in that conversation prior. And I think part of that is because Amanda's size-wise is just so big. But sort of the can's been pried open, given what Juliana Pena did in December. And I do think Valentina wants closure with Amanda. All that being said, seems like maybe some of that narrative goes away, away now, given the close nature of this title defense. Now, I guess Misha Tate and Lauren Murphy have a fight. And if Misha can successfully make the weight and beat Lauren Murphy, I think obviously that's the big name. Certainly, if I'm the promoter, I'm giving Tyler Santos every opportunity for a rematch, depending on how her face heals. Um but, man, I got to think there's going to be a huge ground 12 support to see Tyler Santos get another immediate championship opportunity whenever she's healthy because of the way she fought, because most of the masses felt like she won the fight and, and were her orbital to have not gotten caved in. You know, I really feel like she would have performed better in rounds four and five. I feel like she was really a compromised fighter. I, I agree, man. And listen, I, I think that's the fight to make. And I I love Valentina as a fighter, but I, I think she she lost me on this one, and she I think she's going to lose some fans when instead of going, you know what, that was a close fight. I uh, you know I I felt that it wasn't my best performance. I made some mistakes there. I want to prove that I'm better than her. Let's do it again. Let me go and fight Tyler Santos. And the fact that she didn't say Santos there, I, I think was telling because I think she knew that was a really tough fight. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I think Tyla has some adjustments she, that she can make really in that fight uh, to make it a little bit easier for her. And then she's going to get that much more confidence to try to take that fight to the ground. But anyways, um, uh, and instead she, she mentioned Misha Tate, who I love as well. And I love what she has done. Um, but, uh, I, I thought that was interesting that she mentioned Misha when yeah. in reality, I think the fight that you have to make at this point, assuming Tyla is good to go. And, and yeah. again, with broken orbitals, you never know. It you don't know. It can be, it can yeah. be five months. It can be a long time, but to exactly. Tyla Santos and Marcio Malco and that team, like great fucking job, you know, and just totally unfazed and undeterred. I mean, fight week is a real indicator. Fighter meeting, like Tyler Santos, you know, it's like she ain't starstruck by Daniel Cormier, you know? I don't even <laughs> think she got a picture, you know? Like, she was just totally locked in. And uh, and I love Valentina. And, you know, I will say, too, as far as the damage is, is concerned, because there were some maybe striking situations early on in this fight uh, upon which maybe this fight swung because it looks like rounds one and two, there was some dissension. Um, you know, but Valentina did not have a scratch on her and looked like she could have gone 10 rounds. She just needed that strategy pivot mid-fight from Pavel Fedotov and maybe needed uh, needed the clash of heads to give her a little 
little burst too. Thank you for mentioning that. I, I think that was indicative too of, of maybe why the decision went the way it did too. Because again, how many of those judges 100% knew that that was a clash of heads that happened, that that sure. caused that swelling? Yeah, we right. don't know that. Maybe maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But again, just perception-wise, as that fight goes on, you see her eyes start to swell up. You see it start to close. And the narrative changes in your mind, especially when Shevchenko's pounding away at that left side or that right side of sorry of of santos with that kick and you're thinking oh well well this is shevchenko's fight she did that damage when reality really started with that clash of heads but uh anyways a, a fascinating fight it was interesting to talk about and uh I, I hope we get a chance to see that that fight again they did show the clash of heads in-house i believe our guy jason herzog who for my money is as good as mark goddard and anybody else in the space i believe he was the referee in question i'm not yeah. sure he saw it live they did show a replay in-house but you can't be sure that all three judges uh picked up on that but uh congratulations to valentina shevchenko and other ruby on the belt and uh at the very least you know tyler santos is super relevant people are going to be very excited to see her future given that performance um man Wei lee plus athlete huh she is unbelievable. She's the best straw weight in the world right now with respect to Carla Esparza. She's going to be a big favorite in that championship fight uh, after what she was able to do here against Joanna Jacek. And uh, obviously, there's a, a lot of time to be spent on this podcast on Joanna in retirement. But Zhang Wei Li uh, is a freak, man. I mean, she I, I you know, I don't know. I sit here thinking in five years we're going to be talking about her as the greatest straw weight of all time. She's something else, man. You know, I remember people being very excited about her. And while it was apparent that she was a very good athlete, I don't think I gave her enough credit of how damn good of an athlete she really is. Oh my and it's God. becoming readily apparent, you know, and a great student of the game. Every time we see her, John, I don't care if she loses, if she wins, she's always better. She has some new wrinkle to her game where I'm like, how the she, I mean, she looks like she's been wrestling for a long time now. I mean, it's unbelievable seeing, you know, uh, her adjustments, even her close range boxing, her close range boxing, her kicking from the outside, her her wrestling, her counters, her jujitsu, her positioning. It's always getting better, uh, and she just has the the kind of movement and athleticism where I truly feel, I mean, she could be a professional soccer player. She could be a gymnast. Oh, uh, yeah. She could probably dunk a basketball if you gave her enough time. I mean, yeah. she's, she, she's really impressive to watch, man. And she did it against Joanna Young Jacek, who I think I wasn't sure about of how she was going to come into this fight, but it, I thought it was apparent that she was prepared for that fight, that she did work hard and that she truly wanted to be there and um and you know sure she has some miles on her she's been fighting a long time um but the fact that she beat that kind of yuana i think yeah, was right. all the more telling i was really impressed with uh Jean's man and and watch out for anyone who has to face her in the future uh she's a damn problem and she's a solution for the promotion insofar as she wants to compete. And uh, I think the same could be said for Carla Esparza. I don't know that she's going to milk this second championship reign per se. But, you know, Zhang Wei Li, obviously, in preparation for her previous fight, the rematch with Rose Namajunas, trained at Fight Ready in Arizona and extracted that, took that with her. But whole training camp with her original coaches in Thailand for this fight. And uh, this was the best version of Zhang Wei Li. And I'm not trying to get ahead of myself, but our producer, Cody Merrill, just put in the chat room, uh, Zhang versus Shevchenko in China next year is the fight to make. And I don't need to go to China necessarily, Cody. You know, I need to chill out a little bit on the metal tubes. But that just literally 
vaulted to the top of my wish list for fights in mixed martial arts, men or women. I need to see Shevchenko versus Zhang Wei Li and see if uh, Zhang Wei Li can become a uh, a two division champion. She doesn't even have the strawweight belt right now, but obviously she is a former strawweight champion. Um, but she's incredible, man. You know, doing just the no handed flip after the fight and everything else, and uh, the appetite for knowledge. She's she's just married to the game. Doesn't even begin to describe it. Um, as we wait for Longo, I guess let's get to Ioana and Jacek because Rose Namajunas and Pat Barry are sitting somewhere, hopefully not listening to this podcast and thinking, "What's Anik doing?" Saying Ioana and Jacek retires as the greatest strawweight of all time. You know, Rose Namajunas has two head-to-head wins over Ioana. She has two head-to-head wins over Zhang Weili and has knocked both their heads off once as well. And I'm going to sit here and say that Rose Namajunas maybe isn't the greatest strawweight of all time. But I do have a historical framework for what Ioana has been able to accomplish. And the nature of her five title defenses and the way she put this division on her back the way she won the belt against Carla Esparza in 2015. You know, I do think right now she's the greatest, she's the consensus greatest UFC strawweight champion as she retires. Now, if you want to say pound for pound, maybe she's not the greatest strawweight of all time, but her title reign to me should be put on a pedestal. And, um, you know, we sort of had an inkling in the fighter meeting that if she didn't win this fight, she was going to retire. She said, if I win this fight, I'm the hottest name in the sport, right? Like things can obviously turn on a dime. I know I gave you a lot to uh, to sort of respond to there, but your thoughts on Ioana here in defeat, my man. I've always been really impressed with Ioana. Uh, um, you know, I saw her fight um, and it was clear that she was a very high level striker. But at the same time, I wasn't sure how she was going to develop as a grappler, as a mixed martial artist. Uh, and man. And did she turn one? Um, she was another one who always improved uh, and then knew how to say the right thing. She she really knew how to promote her fights. And she truly took advantage of being on those fight cards with some of the other big fights and uh, and just shined when she needed to at the right time, which showed that she knew how to deal with pressure and, and uh, was always uh, ready to, to elevate her game. You know, she she brings an energy into the octagon, um, unlike many people. Uh, again, it, there's a lot of great fighters, yeah. but not everybody has that aura mm-hmm. and that energy about her. That when when she goes to the card or when she walks into the octagon, things are different. You feel it, you see it, um, and I think that that's something that will always make her special and something I'll always remember about her. Uh, it was sad to see her go, man, because. Um, I, I really always enjoyed watching her, yeah. man. Uh, she was a, she was a phenomenal fighter and, uh, I, 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 I'm excited for her that she's, uh, going into retirement. I want to be a mama now, uh, was, was pretty yeah, cool. It's the end of an era. And even in our fighter meetings, she said, you know, next year it'll be 20 years of training. I'm 35 years old. And, uh, certainly she made a lot of money as champion. She was on a lot of big pay-per-views headlined by the likes of Conor McGregor and George St. Pierre making money with pay-per-view points and everything else. But, uh, we're going to have plenty more on her obviously coming up, uh, later in the program with Longo and with, uh, Brian Petrie and everybody else. Uh, to that end, let us get to the Ray Longo minute. It's now time for the Ray Longo minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo minute. John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Look alive out there. Raymond Longo uh, is in your living room. I mean, you look like a movie star, but I understand uh, yeah. your back has not held up. What what happened? What uh, happened who, the hell, back? who the hell knows? 
I don't know, but I don't like not feeling good, so it it kind of sucks. It's one of those. It was like fucking it? Benjamin Button aging in reverse. So no, Benny Button. Tell us what happened to your back. What oh, I, I don't know. I just I I heard it bench pressing, and but I wasn't really doing a lot of weight, and I don't I don't know. Just it's, right. I strained it. I hope hopefully that's it. All right, all right. But I've been doing a lot of bike riding. If anybody cares. Yeah, well, that can certainly hurt your lower back. Yeah, I know. For me, after I bike fifteen or twenty miles, my butt, my my yeah, lower right. back is burning. Isn't so uh, I did I did sixteen on Friday, and I felt like a million dollars. Wow, good man. Good so who you. the hell knows? Yeah. So uh, so how what do we got? This, how about this UFC two seventy five business? Huh? What wow. a show! I mean, if you got to go all the way to Singapore, beautiful country. Don't get me wrong, just really fucking far from South Florida. You know, I do. Uh, Great place. If you're going to go that far, might as well have one of the greatest fight cards top to bottom in UFC history, right? Yeah, yeah. It was that that was a great card, but uh, I think those days are gone for me, man. I, I just that scares me at this point. What you did, yeah, it actually scares I mean, the crowd. Like when you were in Vegas, saying you still had to stay there, and then you're flying to Singapore. Yeah, uh, I I uh, honestly don't know how much sense I have made over the last 40 minutes. So I'm glad yeah. that now you're <laughs> going to take up some of the real estate. You know, yeah. some of our listeners are a little bit disappointed today but because this was supposed to be the Petrie Longo Ken Flo. Oh. Show. So I don't know what happened. You know, I think Ken Flo kind of likes having his security blanket. I don't think he wants to do this <laughs> without me. And I appreciate the fucking support, you know. Well, I'll tell um, you what. One thing he wasn't getting with me was a security blanket. That's for sure. All right. right. So I don't even necessarily know where to begin. You know, it definitely was emotional for me uh, when Joanna retired and then seeing Glover and that. I mean, dude, there's so much to unpack. What what would you what would you want to lead with? Uh, You want to talk about Yuri Prohaska in the main event? Uh, yeah, let's do it, man. Let's do it. First off, I, I texted you. I thought the interview with Glover was fantastic. Oh, I just, I, I just think you got such a down-to-earth, good guy. Uh, yeah, he really is. I, I, to me, that's what you want out of a champion. He walks in a room and he doesn't make a big stink about anything. He's just one of those, just I don't know, just a humble, just say, beautiful that guy. Day in Connecticut, like, and of course he was twelve minutes early, right? You yeah. know, I mean, how many fighters Kemflo can attest, right? If you had an interview with a fighter. How many of our 700 fighters show up at least one second late? I would say like 85% of the fucking roster. Plus, he, plus for a Brazilian guy, that's really good. <laughs> right, that's right. Their, their, yes. their timing good point. is horrible. They welcome that stereotype. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. It's Brazilian time, yeah. So, uh, yeah, an amazing main event. Uh, Glover was an amazing champion, obviously. I mean, he's a legend. I, I do hope that he gets into that modern era of the UFC Hall of Fame. At the very least, this fight is going in. Uh, what did you make of this back and forth? Where were you watching? Uh, no, I watched it at the house and uh, came out of my seat when he had the guy hurt. And he went for the guillotine. My heart goes out to him. I thought yeah. he made he made some. I love the guy, but, man, he made some mistakes that, man, he he should have won that fight. I mean, and I think when we at the end of the day, when we look at Glover and the years he missed in his prime and how he became a champion at an older age, I don't think I don't I think he's going to be hard to beat him as a heavyweight champion for certain reasons. You know, a lot of times you just look at the record, you look at this. But, you know, the guy's had like an 85 percent finish rate in his career. He's the guy is just I don't know. I just I'm a big fan of Glover's and uh, I thought he had that fight won. Yeah, I thought he made a couple of mistakes that drive me nuts, especially because he's got knockout power. It's not like he's a sure. he's a wrestler. He he could he could beat the crap out of you standing up. I mean, yeah, 
last thing to go is power, and you had the guy on wobbly legs. I just uh, just actually broke my heart to see, you know. Kenny, I know you sort of leaned into that a little bit too. There were some tactical things that that I think even Glover and his coaches and his manager acknowledged to me uh, that maybe would have uh, would have resulted in uh, a different turn of events. Yeah, uh, like Ray, I, I don't think he there was any reason. For- for him to try to, I mean, if you have someone on the ropes like that, why would you willing willingly go to your back unless you're right. it's in a scramble? You're already on your yeah. back or you're on your knees. Why would you go to an in- inferior position? And for who Glover is as a fighter, why would he do that? Just go for a take. Like, I mean, at least go for a takedown, get on top or something, finish him right. out with some ground and pound. But he had Yuri hurt, and I yeah. don't think there was any any reason to joke and losing position a couple of times like he had his back and got too far forward which just seemed like more of a a rookie mistake in, in that regard but again i do think those body shots really hurt him and i, I don't think that properly and had him moving properly i think i think he was dealing with some pain of some body issues there because of those yeah. body shots from yuri but it was yeah. unfortunate yeah he had that fight and he even acknowledged some of the but, uh body shots in his post-fight interview with uh with dc go ahead ray yeah no question about it but he is a big puncher also you know what i mean like i get it if you're a, a wrestler and you don't really have the stand-up but he has the the ability to to finish that fight like unequivocally has no the doubt. ability to finish that fight so no doubt. i i just hope he doesn't you know i mean you know i think he's going to look back on that and understand it but uh yeah i was pulling for the guy so yeah. much that it just yeah. uh, kind of killed me but you know the other guy did a great job he's a he's a loose cannon obviously but uh he makes his style work for him so it was a great fight what I think a lot of mistakes made on both sides. Yeah, <laughs> but one guy, so, one guy purposely making them, and the other guy right. purposely making them. So when you're watching Valentina Shevchenko and Tyler Santos, given yeah. how dominant a champion Shevchenko has been, even sometimes for us on the commentary side, sometimes there can be a subconscious tendency to sort of lean into the underdog challenger because of that backdrop. Um, are you watching that fight thinking that that Santos is up and Shevchenko potentially needs a finish in round five? What were your thoughts as you're watching that fight play out live? You know, in hindsight, it's the same thing as Reyes Jones. One, two, three, go to Santos. She out-wrestled her, out-scrambled her, controlled her. I don't, I don't even, you know, I'm really going to address something else later, but uh, I thought it was one, two, three for Santos. Yeah. And... End the story. She needed to finish. The most damage she did was was the headbutt, the accidental headbutt, which broke her orbital. I heard now. So, I I don't know. I mean, Valentina is a great fighter. It has nothing to you know. Jones is John Jones is a great fighter, but he lost that fight to Reyes. And those are those are fights that you you train for and that you you just hope the judges get it right. I'm not saying I'm not no means a robbery, nothing like that. But I just yeah. but my, it's just my opinion. I'm not yeah. No, you know, and, and you kind of knew it was going to happen. That, that's what drives me more crazy than anything. You know what's going to happen. I'd actually have to go back. I actually thought Tiago Santos beat John Jones, but I did not think Dominic yeah. Reyes beat John Jones, you know. But that yeah. is very much neither here nor there. Um, dude, John Wei Libro. Yeah, I've was... never seen anything like Jean. I like I love the strawweights, man. Like I, with respect to to the Kenny Florian era in the UFC's lightweight division and 155 pound male fighters, like I think strawweights my favorite division, historically yeah. and right now. 
you know, well, there's a lot of great strawweight fighters, first of all, but she was, she was, she's a powerhouse, that little girl. Oh, man, my God. You know? Because uh, like, I'll tell I you, know, oh, technically, the spin back fist wasn't even correctly thrown, but she's got so much power that she face planted her like that. And obviously, the element of surprise is a huge, you know, factor in there. But uh, even the way she manhandled her on the floor, she was, she was on fire that night. And I thought Joanna came out, you know, for not having fought. I thought she did a great job. I thought she was in there to fight. She wasn't in there, you know, to have a retirement thing. She was fighting. Right. You right. know what I mean? She just got caught. That's the, the definition of just getting caught. Because, you know, for a girl that, you know, uh, was out for so long, I thought she did a fantastic job, too. And, you know, actually brought a tear to my eye when she retired and the way she did it. And she's such a sweetheart. And she was great for the sport. I, I just wish her all the best of luck in the future. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, but that was another great fight. So uh, Ken Flo might hop out for a minute and try to get to some of his technical issues. So if you are solely listening to this podcast for Ken Flo, uh, this might not be the best 10 minutes in the history of the program. <laughs> as I go as I go one-on-one with my guy, Ray Longo, yeah, like yeah. we used to do on the Instagram lives. So, um, you know, as far as Joanna, I just have so much respect for the way Without she a doubt. this week and, and her career. Um, you know, I, I married into a Polish family, but that's not why I have just like buckets of love for this woman and everything she accomplished in the UFC. Yeah, no, I, what, what can you say? I mean, she really ruled that division. She was great for the, the you know, for the straw weights. And, uh, you know, like, again, just wish her the best of luck. Cause I, I really thought she was, she was, she was aggressive. She was in there to, she was in there to win that fight. I There's like no the doubt way, about it. I, I love the way she, even though like the way she lost wasn't ideal. Obviously I love the way she was fighting before that. She wasn't, deterred by what happened at all with the wrestling and she got back to what she wanted to do and she just got caught you know so it's a shame so joanna was asked about a lot of things at at her post-fight press conference but one of the things she was asked about was the fight forthcoming now between carla esparza and john way lee all indications are i don't even think it's breaking news right that john way lee is the number one contender and is going to get the opportunity to challenge Carla Esparza, even if she doesn't have the number one next to her name, I guess that might be Rose Nama Eunice's. Um, with respect, Joanna said she thinks Zhang Wei Li knocks Carla Esparza out in round one. Zhang Wei Li is going to be a huge betting favorite against Carla Esparza, is she not? Like, I'm not going to sit here and say it's going to be minus 600, but what I mean, do you? Like, dude, she's got to be a three-to-one favorite against Carlos Barza, no? Uh, at least a two-to-one. But I'll tell you what's not going to happen. What happened in the last fight. <laughs> oh, God. It <laughs> that, will be the opposite of that. Let me tell you, that's definitely not. This girl's coming forward. I think, uh, you know, look, it's it, how they how they going to match up in the wrestling. But I thought uh, I thought her wrestling looked way better this fight against Joanna. You know what I mean? So... I don't know. That that that'll be a good fight, though. I think yeah. I, I think Carl is tough, and again, she she's can go back to her wrestling, but this girl's got it all. I think for that fight, you know. Yeah. I want to get to some other performances at UFC 275, but real quickly to circle back, Prohaska to Shara in a rematch. Is that what you would do in maybe November, Madison Square Garden, or not necessarily? Oh, I would like that fight at the Garden. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I would, what, I don't I don't know if they're gonna do that. I think you think gonna, too soon. Or I, oh, you think they'll go in a different direction? I, yeah, it depends on where they think the uh, the numbers are going. You know, like can they right. do something with Yuri? And look, unfortunately for Glover, he's forty three. So 
how much can they squeeze out of him, right? And I think that's the way to go. Look at it like a business, right? right? You got a young guy who's, you know, flashy and up and coming and, you know, all of that stuff. I think they're yeah. going to lean towards probably matching that guy up with a couple of fights he could, that you know, sense. do his that thing with, I, I think. Right. But if you're asking me what the right thing to do is, yeah. put him back at the garden in uh, right. no, November yeah. or whenever that fight is. By the way, I don't know if you were on social media early to, earlier today as we're rejoined uh, by the legend, Ken Flo. Uh, so did you guys see the parade for Yuri Prohaska in the Czech Republic? I mean, we're not 48 hours removed from this fight. Maybe we are because I've been on a, an airplane. But, I mean, he had 7,000-plus parading in the Czech Republic like within hours of him winning this title. I mean yeah. – yeah, we're we're rolling in the video here, courtesy of his manager Tim Simpson. This is incredible stuff. Man, oh my god! Yeah, unfortunately, John, I'm still off of social media because that fucking hacking piece of shit. I still <laughs> haven't got my my account back. Ah, oh. unbelievable. Would it matter if I offered a bounty for this guy yeah, at this we point? Need, we need to have someone find that guy. I mean, I yeah, I, I thought I yeah, I just can't. Right. You know, whatever. But yeah. so that, I'm right. glad you showed me that. It looks great. All right. I want to get to some of these other performances and uh, I want to keep the shine on Jake Matthews, the Celtic kid for this win over Andre Fialio by knockout in round two. But I think there may be more talking points on the Fialio side. I will just tell you, you know, Jake Matthews was a nasty prick on the regional scene. He was only 7-0 when he signed with the UFC at 19 years of age. And, um, you know, he did at times in his UFC career fight safety first. And in our fighter meeting, he kept talking about getting away from fighting safety first, right? And how he aligned with this legendary boxing coach, Big Jace, who worked with Mark Hunt for years. And uh, proof is in the pudding. But, I mean, this is Jake Matthews 2.0, Ken Flo, to say the least. Uh, he's been working in the offseason. He's been working on his striking. He looked totally different. And, you know, we talked about his potential, or I talked about his potential when we first saw him. Uh, and last night, I feel like he really is fulfilling that potential. He was always yeah. a good grappler. He's putting it all together right now. And uh, n not only was he offensively amazing, but Fialio was really ineffective with his striking. I mean, he was moving really well. He was cutting angles. This was a completely different type of Jake Matthews, uh, and I'm really excited for this kid, man. He, uh, it, it, he's going to do some serious damage. If he's fighting like that, he's going to give a lot of people trouble and wouldn't be surprised if he fights for the belt one day. Wait, I'm I'm, I'm confused because I think I was at – I think I had Iaquinta fighting – in Australia for his debut, but I thought he always had good hands. Am I wrong with that? Or it was okay. It was okay. He was more See, known as a grappler, you know. Oh wow! Um, All right, because I thought when yeah. I I remember him from back then, I go man, I thought his hands were good. He looked great, but this this fight, he really yeah. showcased it. Look, it was a great matchup for him. The other guy throws punches from his ass. You know what I mean? He yeah. throws hard, and if he hits you, he's gonna get at it. But I think he learned a lesson too that against a a little slicker guy you have to be a little tighter than that and tighten right. up your offense. You know, he's, he's just winging that guy and he's, right. he's a and I think Henry hoof too, um, you know, probably isn't getting the developmental time that he would like with Andre Fialio. And again, I'm not a fighter. I don't know how sustainable this is. I understand for a lot of guys, they want to feel that UFC canvas. And when they're in an active competition schedule, they compete better, but 
How sustainable is this, Ken Floyd? Fought in January, right? Then he fought in April, May, and now June. You know, he had just fought five weeks ago. You travel all over the world. You know, I think a lot of it is working on a cardiovascular base and cutting weight and everything else. Uh, you know, confidence is off the charts, but I, I just don't know that this is like how you go about winning a UFC championship. At yeah, all. listen, I, I think you and Ray are, are spot on. And it, it is. It, uh, it, it's tough. You want you want your fighters to want to stay active. But at the same time, camp after camp, a lot of times is worse than having fight after fight. And that will drain you. Also, it's hard to get better when you're fighting every month. You know what I mean? What 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 are you working on that's new? Um, you know, if you're staying busy and, and fighting every few weeks, it's hard to develop new skills because you're always getting ready for that next challenge. Um, so I, I think it, Andre should take some time off, uh, you know, especially after a, a knockout loss like that. Or he took a lot of damage. Um, give his body, his brain time to recover, work on some new skills defensively, offensively, uh, and, and just get more technically sound. And um, I think he'll be okay. But he, he's got some work to do, and I think this is a good lesson. You can stay busy, yeah. but you have to be able to be ready for, for you know, that risk when you do that. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I mean, and, and you know what? He's got the toughness, and that's something you can't teach. So, man, just yeah. tighten him up a little bit. I think you you know he'll he'll come back pretty good. So hostile Kenflow was allowed out a little bit on social media. I mean, not really, you know, but it is hard because people uh, with the effective grappling stuff. But Kenflow, uh, Jack Della Madalena had your uh, frown turning upside down there a little bit, right? Nothing like escaping a choke and then putting a the guy away with a body shot, and that's Ramazan Amiv, who uh, nobody had put away in seven UFC fights. That is the Dagestani wrestler test, as Jack Della Madalena put it in our fighter meeting, and. Uh, able to pass it Kempfo. what do you have on jack della madalena della madalena uh dude i, I love this kid uh, listen i not only is he a fantastic striker and knows how to put it all together really well in mixed martial arts but he just seems at ease and comfortable when it's fight time it's almost like he he just relaxes like this is exactly where that kid needs to be at that point in time so to me it shows he's got ice in his veins he's a performer uh, and uh, he's got a tremendous amount of talent, man. It, listen, that was probably out of all those guys in that range. That's probably the worst matchup for him stylistically. Like, no, who wants to? Who raises their hand and is like, yes, please, I want the Dagestani right. wrestler. Right. Right. You know, that's like if if a promoter doesn't like you, they give you a Dagestani wrestler. Yeah. Right. And yeah. Dylan Madalena yeah. went out there and just took him out, man. Again. His boxing in tight, I always, I'm always impressed with a striker when they can hit you to the body, when they can slip and they cut angles and they're countering. And he was doing all that, man. He did it in the, in the fight before that. I, I love this kid. Watch out for him. He's going to do big things. Ray, sometimes actually, I think promotionally, they give you this test because they do believe in you and maybe they don't give you Khabib Nurmagomedov, right? But they want to see how you can handle this challenge. And it's amazing to me when people talk, about star cultivation and, and UFC stars and, you know, taking the torch in a certain country. I, there's going to be so much talent in all of these regions coming up in the UFC. Everybody wants to be a fighter right now. It's like the thing right. to do, you know? Um, but when you talk about Israel Adesanya emerging from that region, I know he's a New Zealand guy and Alexander Volkanovsky obviously is maybe the greatest featherweight we've ever seen. And now you have this welterweight out of Perth which is even further away than Singapore from Miami, by the way. But now you got Western <laughs> Australia on the map. This dude's won like a dozen fights in a row. What would you think of Jack Della Maddalena over the weekend? 
No, uh, what could you tell me? He handled the adversity great. I thought that choke was tight. Kenny would know better than me, but that thing looked like he was definitely going to tap. And then to overcome that and to do what he did, I think it's just a great look for him. And uh, we'll see. I'm not as high on him as Kenny is right now, but uh-huh. it was a great fight for him. You know, I'd yeah. have to see uh, – I got to see a little more. Because, you know, normally those wrestlers control you first. You know, this guy just went right for the choke, and yeah. you know, so uh, I don't know. I'd have to. I got to see. I yeah. have to see a little more. But he looked great, oh, and he passed, well, uh, he passed his first test. That's for sure. Well, before we let you go, um, uh, your nice Sarah BJJ logo there on your T-shirt. What is that yeah. T-shirt, the Quiet Man, that I'm looking at right That's, now? That's uh, Dylan Montello. Just had a big oh, win man. in uh, Khabib's uh, promotion. He had a huge win. Nice man. Uh, uh, he's doing great. Congrats. All right, well, Anything else that you want to get to before we let you go? It's coming up on 6 p.m. Eastern. We've taken up enough of your time. Right. Anything else before we let you fly? What a fucking show, man. But so, yeah, so you're not going to Asia anymore. You you can sit here and tell me you're not going to Asia nor Australia ever again. Unless Chris Weidman's return fight is in China. <laughs> in which case, wheels fucking up, right? <laughs> I, that's going to be tough, man. Yeah, I, don't know, I, I swear to God, I felt your pain on that. When you Thank told me you. that in Vegas, I'm not joking. I said, nah, this is people don't realize the commitment. And then, you know, I did the show with TJ that night. And he was even saying all three of you guys had to be in the arena by like six in the morning. I mean, that's a to me, that's a death sentence almost. That's how bad it is. So, well, what I said right off the top of the show, I believe, is that. UFC 274 in Phoenix, our last pay-per-view at 15 fights. This card got trimmed down to 11, you know. Thank the damn heavens, right? Yeah. You're talking about two more hours of prelims on the front end, you know. And it's tough. And, again, if the listeners and the viewers, like, think this is a complaint, honestly, you know, you can pound fucking sick. No, no. Right, no. because I work my fucking ass off, right? And right, without a doubt. Back to back, and you're talking about 60 fighters in two weeks, right? No matter what I do, right? run five miles that morning right in the streets of Singapore. You're trying to put yourself in a position to be able to perform over eight hours. And when you have yeah. 10 prelims before I have to blow the veins through my neck right. on you, it's not ideal, you know? Yeah. And I don't care what you have to fucking say. So thank you for acknowledging no, it. No, no, 100%. Job, no. I got to take it seriously or, or I'm going to be fucked, you know? No, 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 it isn't. <laughs> I think that's well put. I really thank do. You. I think that's beautifully put. There's thank no... Who gives a shit what anybody has to think anyway, John? Come on. Right, man, you know. right. Well, no, I mean, if I could get that extra rounds money, you know, I just sit at home. <laughs> you know? hey, um, I want to say TJ gave it up to you. He brought it up. He was said uh, that is not an easy thing to do. Guy. And that's, that's and I agree with him a hundred percent. People they take it for granted. Yeah. You know what I mean? They have no idea to listen. Everybody watching those fights thought it was whatever time it was when they were watching them. Sure, sure. They have no clue that, you know, it's six in the morning. I remember in Australia, we had to be on the bus at six in the morning. I was like, this is uh, insane. Yeah. But yeah. I was I was younger, so it didn't really matter. But I'll tell you, you know who I have respect for is our fans in Europe, right? Because if you are a rabid MMA fan and you want to watch all of these live events, you have to like totally change your life around. And I obviously fly a lot of red eyes after these shows. So I understand what it's like to pull all nighters several times a month. So that part of our fan base certainly has my respect. Uh, all right, Ray Longo, get the social media thing situated. And uh, uh, we're, yeah. we're back next Sunday night. So, um, oh, I, uh, Calvin Cater, Josh Emmett, who wins the main event in Austin, Texas this weekend? Uh, unequivocally, Calvin Cater. All right, we like when the New York. What, what's the, what's the odds on that? Cater's a pretty big favorite, about minus yeah, yeah. two and a quarter. Yeah. I, I, I think the fight's tailor-made for Cater, to be honest right. with you. All right. 
Hey, have a great day and a better evening. We'll talk to you Sunday night. Thank you. Take take it easy, guys. See you, Ray. Bye. The Godfather, Ray Longo, every week here on the Anakin Florian podcast. Uh, while you weren't with us for a minute there, Ken Flo, he sort of feels like for Yuri Prohaska, they're maybe going to find a stylistically more favorable matchup for the first title. Mm-hmm. That, you know, maybe give him a striker or something to see if you can highlight him. But um, we'll see what happens. But more coming up, of course, right now as we welcome in. Um, what a great journalist this guy is. He's got a good-looking haircut today, too, I can tell. Uh, MMA reporter and content editor for TSN Sports, the great Aaron Bronstetter, is with us. A.B., good to see you, my man, with the mic on the shirt. Look at this fucking guy, huh? It's professional stuff here, John. You know, my guys, Ken Flo, John Anik. A couple of weeks ago, I was supposed to be on with you just to break down the fourth wall. Right, right. And I said, well, you want to come on? I couldn't do it because I had a family commitment. And I said, why don't I come on after two, UFC 275? Because I knew it was going to be a good card. I didn't know it was going to be this good of a card, though. But I'm happy that uh, this is how it worked out. Well, no, and we appreciate your time. And uh, it's a little tricky because when I was talking to you a couple of weeks ago, the Sunday is a little bit tricky, right? Especially for parents, you know? So um, obviously, we normally tape on Sundays and we're going to... Uh, we're going to interrupt your Sundays coming up probably once a month because we like to get your insight. Um, so you're watching this live event play out, this Teixeira Prohaska fight. And uh, I guess you're probably a good guy to try to put a legendary fight like this into proper context, even though it's probably not fair for me to ask you to do it. But when you're watching this main event play out, um, are you putting it on the pedestal that I'm now putting it on? Yeah, absolutely. You, you can make a case it's the greatest title fight ever. Uh, honestly, right. you can. <laughs> I, I thought, you know... For me, uh, it was John Jones and Gustafson because I was there. And then it, you look at Santos and Shevchenko, it's that same kind of vibe where you're like, wow, can this person do it? At the time, they're kind of an unknown. Nobody really has, gives them any chance of winning. And they're like, wow, you, they're really, that adds something to the fight. But if you oh, go God. back and watch Gustafson and Jones now, it, it doesn't quite hold up in the same way as when you watched it live and you thought that this guy from Sweden who was on a little bit of a hot streak was going to potentially take out a guy who was in the running for being the greatest of all time then, right? I mean, look at the, the light heavyweight division that he ran through. It was Murderer's Row at the time. Yeah. And, I mean, that, that adds to the, the fight. In this situation, this was a, a very even fight, in my opinion. I actually said it was a dogger pass if you were going to bet on it because I, I think Glover is a phenomenal, phenomenal fighter. Uh, obviously, that didn't end up being how it played out. To me, it's like you, you can say you're on the right side, but if you lose, you're not on the right side. But <laughs> Glover did show right. that it was a very close fight, uh, closer than the, the lines would indicate. But just watching it, it was a roller coaster. It was incredible. And the way it ended, I think that is really kind of the icing on the cake of yeah. an incredible fight. You tap out a guy as good as Glover Teixeira on the ground. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Aaron, couldn't agree more. Um, do you think the UFC is going to head in that direction as far as like putting on a rematch again, or do you think they're going to do something completely different? The one thing I was really bummed about is when Glover got interviewed afterwards, he should have just said, one last fight for me, MSG, let's run it back. I I just think that that would have really, that would have been the best way for him to go out. I'm sure he was at the time, of course, shocked about what happened, probably exhausted because he's 42. I'm 40 watching at home and I'm exhausted. So (laughs) I think that, and I'm not in a five round fight with a guy who's an absolute maniac. So I, I think that, you, you look at that as a possibility where Glover says, you know what, if I win, I hang him up. If I lose, I hang him up. But give me one more shot, one more kick at the can. Kind of like when DC lost to Stipe in their rematch. Just give me one last shot. It's going to be my last fight either way. MSG, he, Glover has expressed interest in fighting on that card. That's what I would do. Because, listen, I, I think Magomed Ankalaev is a great prospect. 
Anthony Smith has always been a lot of fun to watch. Uh, of course, Jan Bojovic, the former champ, just had a good performance, but of course, it's kind of marred, muddied a little bit by the injury to Rakic. Right. I think you got to. I think you got to run it back, and I think it would also be great to run back Shevchenko and Santos. But it looks like Santos is going to be out for a little while. Yeah. Hey, Aaron, I, I want to actually talk about that fight as well. And you know, John and I were discussing it. I, I don't think. And I know you love to talk about rules, but I don't think they're scoring, uh, you know, superior grappling positions the way they should. And in particular, submissions. For, you know, these are positions that could potentially end the fight. Why are they any different than a punch that could potentially end the fight? If I have a rear naked choke and you are making an effort to remove your hands because I am close to finishing the fight with <laughs> a submission... Why is that different than, say, a, a shot that, you know, buckles you or, you know, trips you up? What, what, why is it any different and why are we scoring it differently? You know, I agree with you on that, Kenny, because I think the issue is that the language of the criteria in terms of effective grappling is very, very gray. I don't think that there's a very good definition of what counts in the eyes of the judges. For striking, it's easy. You hit somebody, they get hit, it shows damage. With, with a body triangle, for example, does that score in the eyes of the judges? Because it should. You're sucking the wind right. out of somebody and making it very difficult for them to breathe while you're trying to, right. at the same time, simultaneously snatch their neck so they have even more trouble breathing, right? Right. So does that score in the eyes of the criteria? And I think that that muddy water is something that they really need to sort out because I, I think that the scoring criteria is great, and I think that the way that it's written is very simplistic, which is I think it's for the better that way. But I do think that the effective grappling needs a little bit more definition to it and there, there should be a little bit more nuance. Why do you think a simplistic tone to the scoring criteria is the way it should be? I just am curious to follow up on what you just said. I think it's just easier to follow along. And I think if you're a judge, there's less for you to have to think about. And I, I know that sounds bad, but I think yeah. for the judges that are sitting cage side, if they can have something and view something through the lens of the criteria that's written in a simple yeah. fashion, it makes yeah. it easier for them to score fights. And you don't see a whole lot of... Look, again, through the lens of the criteria, you don't see a lot of really bad scorecards. This past weekend, I saw a couple. And I, I usually am I'm not quick to call them out. But there were sure. a couple scorecards that I actually vehemently disagreed with and thought that there, you almost couldn't make a case for them. Yeah. Was there one scorecard in particular that you thought was the worst singular scorecard of the night? Yeah. The, uh, the first round of Kulabau versus Choi. One of the judges scored that for Choi. I don't understand how. I, like, I don't understand. If you were to watch wow. that back 100 times... I did that, that right. one round to me rubbed me right. the wrong way. Well, and my issue too, right in a round like that is that my daughters are downstairs. They're 10 and nine. And if I said, girls, I just need you to watch these five minutes for me and just tell me who wins. You don't need to know what the rules are. And I don't think that they would have had uh, anything but cool about, but yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I largely, I agree on the, on the simple nature. I just feel like it just is poorly written, um, but that's neither. John, you bring up there. a great point there though. I'm sorry to cut you off. I think that's one of the issues with people getting upset with the judges is that that's the way they view a fight. And I actually have an example. It was the contender series, Carlos Candelario um, against Victor Altamarino. And yeah. I watched it and I said, the judges got that one right. It was a controversial decision. People thought that Candelario should have won because he had top control for, for some time. But from bottom, uh, he was getting pieced up. Um, Altamarino was uh, landing shots from bottom. And I said, I think the judges got that right. And Tyson Chartier, who manages uh carlos candelario said i think that if i showed my son that fight that he would that if you showed a uh, sorry a kid i think he said if you showed a kid that fight they would know who won the round and i said you know what tyson i agree with you i think that if you showed someone that round they would score it for candelario but the problem is if you're not looking at it through the lens of the criteria sure. 
right. that, that you, that and I think a lot of fans do that. They look at it and they say, how can somebody who has someone's back, like Tyler Santos did for three and a half minutes or whatever it, it is, yeah. lose a round on someone's scorecard? And it's valid. Right, right. Yeah, and again, I keep coming back to like Ken Flo in DC, just feel like the effect of grappling is not at all put in the proper context, either by the criteria or by the judges. Um, and, you know, I even talked to a high profile judge before you came on uh, at the airport. And, uh, you know, he was just saying effective striking for our base of judges is just much easier to see and score, you know, um, and it kind of is what it is. Um, a lot of things I want to get to with you, um, you know, now that you want to MMA legacy is complete. Um, we're all maybe jumping to put it into context. And it's sort of interesting that Rose Nama Yunus can sit here and have lay claim to having two head-to-head wins over mm-hmm. Joanna and two head-to-head wins over Zhang Wei Li, who in my opinion is probably going to retire as the greatest straw weight and maybe by a significant margin, perhaps that's a recency bias, but um, Joanna is just such a unique champion and um, the nature of her title reign for me um, is going to be sort of the standard at 115 pounds. What were your thoughts on on Zhang Wei Li versus Joanna and ultimately Young Jacek's legacy as she steps away? Yeah, I think that Zhang looked like she had she was kind of a step ahead of Joanna in that fight. Joanna looked pretty good, actually. Her timing looked pretty good early on in that fight. But then Zhang just started to pull away. And uh, I think that she's stepping away really honestly at the right time. And I think I you think did so too, too, Ken Flo. Like, I think you look at it and you, you get to a point where, for Joanna, she was saying all week, I'm not doing this for money. I'm not doing this uh, for legacy anymore. I think my legacy is kind of set. I'm doing this because I want to get another shot at the championship. That loss sets her back three, four fights away from getting back into the title picture. So does she want to toil away and have to face the likes of like a Marina Rodriguez, Rose again, right. um, Andrade again? I mean, well, Andrade, yeah, Andrade again. I, I just, I think that she stepped away at a time where you you leave where, you know, where, you, where your legacy is still good. And you don't leave, you can leave at the top and very few people leave, leave at the top. A lot more leave at the bottom. And that's what yeah. the problem is, I think, with the sport sometimes. And she did not leave at the bottom. Her legacy is intact after that loss. I don't think it affects it whatsoever, to be honest. She gave, yeah. she came back, gave it one good try, and wasn't able to get it done. And, and that happens. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, Kenny was the same way. If there's not a championship trajectory, um, he's not sticking around. Um, and she obviously made a lot of money. Uh, so... As we spin it forward for Zhang Wei Li against Carla Esparza, you know, and I, I'm trying to be as respectful as possible, but I'm also trying to be analytical. How is Zhang Wei Li not minus 300 against Carla Esparza? I was going to say I mean, that should be the line minus 300. I was going to say that verbatim. I mean, and and I think it'll get bet up. You know, um, our producer Cody Mayer was talking about a dream fight with Valentina Shevchenko and Zhang Wei Li, and I'm not sure I would ever have been more excited for a flyweight. Title defense for Valentina. I know Tyler Santos is going to be heard from, but uh, that's a pretty interesting fight. Would, would you think, John Wei Lee and, and Valentina, Aaron? I would say so, but the problem is, I mean, there's, there's so many strawweight contenders right now. That, well, right. I mean, if, if yeah, if Zhang Wei not, she's not the champion right now, right? So she could move up to 125 right, and challenge. Right, right. Um, so I think that would be an awesome fight, and I know that's been yeah. discussed in the past, yeah. but at the same time, Zhang Wei is going to get a title shot as strawweight next, right? So I think we have to see kind of how that plays out. And the thing with Carla is, I think that if you took any of those challengers at the top right now, um, even I would say up until Mackenzie Dern, she's probably the underdog in all of those fights. Yeah. 
Right. No, I think that's fair. Um, so Aaron Bronstetter from TSN Sports, the fine reporter joining us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. So uh, as far as the scoring for Valentina Shevchenko and Tyler Santos, you know, Sean Sheehan obviously is my go to. And you're right there, man. I know you're invested. I know even more so than me sort of diving into the criteria and the education and everything else. So um, most of my contemporaries, Ken Flo, Felder, all these guys texting me, you know, three nil Santos after three. Um, where was your card after three? Uh, I had a two to one for Valentina Shevchenko after three rounds. Can but, you explain to us which round you had for Shevchenko of the first three and why? I think I had one and two for Shevchenko, if I remember correctly. And the reason why is because Santos, and again, this is the thing that Kenny has the big problem with. Santos is controlling, but she's not doing any damage. You know, she's going for chokes. She doesn't get it under the chin. So again, in the eyes of the criteria, that doesn't really score. Whereas Valentina's throwing these, these hammer fists backwards and actually hitting, actually connecting, right? So the, the thing is, when I'm scoring these fights live, there's a time where I sit back. And if you go on my Twitter, I didn't really score one and two publicly because, and, and I can explain why. You and the commentary team do a phenomenal job of capturing the emotion of the fan that's watching at home and thinking Santos, who's a complete unknown in the eyes of almost anybody who follows MMA in that fight. You might have watched her fight. You probably don't remember a lot of her fights going into that one. And if you're a casual fan, you have no clue who she is. And right. she is is throwing Valentina Shevchenko around. She's getting great positions on her. So I'm watching, and you guys are really capturing those moments. And that's the way you should do it. And, and you know, people can say, well, you, you got to bring up the criteria. You guys are watching this firsthand and feeling the same emotions as those who are also watching it firsthand, where it's like this person could pull up a monumental upset against perhaps the, the pound for pound best female fighter in the sport right now. So I don't blame you for that. But yeah. I think that people that want to score it in real time, you kind of need to go back, rewatch it, shut the sound off. Or there are some other people that like to watch it with. Um, foreign commentary that they don't understand so they can hear the impact of shots, which I, I get. Yeah. But go back and kind of watch it under through the eyes of the criteria where damage is king. And I think that Valentina was doing more damage in those first and second rounds. So a lot of people went crazy about the 49-46 scorecard for Shevchenko. I actually probably had it the same. I would have to go back and watch it to really give a definitive scorecard. Yeah. But that's kind of how I felt watching. It was like, I've got to step away from the commentary. I've got to just watch this through the eyes of the criteria if I want to be objective here. And that's kind of what yeah. I had to do. I did it about four minutes into the first round. That's where I kind of turned it on. We're yeah. like, okay, let's, let's step away. No, and that's a great answer. And Kenny, I think I'm a little bit stubborn when it comes to crediting a fighter who is striking off of their back. Like, I'm sort of compelled after this podcast to get my strongest child, right? And I'm going to put them underneath me and they can be inside my open guard and I'm going to have them punch me in the face 15 times as hard as they can off of their back. And I'm going to see the extent to which it hurts. You know, I guess for me, AB, like I just can't wrap my head around like giving Valentina even a fucking modicum of credit for those strikes. But I should probably go back and watch, you know, um, I don't know. I mean, we see situations where, you know, fighters are. You know, I thought Tyler Santos was got had a position taken away prematurely in this fight. But I Agreed. don't fucking And, know, you, you know, know, it's a close, close fight. Because I, I don't think that there's a real problem with scoring rounds one or two for Santos, right? Like, I, I'm not saying that if you scored that fight for Santos, I, I, I understand how you could do that. And I understand how you yeah. can see it that way. Because, again, the effective grappling, I think, again, is the – that's the thing. There's a, just a lot of gray area. So if you're watching it as a judge and you have a different definition of what constitutes effective grappling as another judge – you could score a three to two for, for Santos. And really the, the big issue with that fight is the, the clash of heads, right? 
because yeah. oh, if that yeah. doctor after the fourth round, and I spoke to some people that were on, on location at, you know, some officials that were there and they said that they did look at the replay and they saw that it was from uh, an accidental clashing of heads. Had the doctor after the fourth round say, you can't continue. The referee could have come back. Jason Herzog could have said, um, we're going to do, we're going to go to a technical decision because the injury, so to speak, that was, was caused that stopped the fight at that time was caused by an accidental headbutt. So if that would have happened, it would have been a split draw after the fourth round, right? And now, then everybody's going to be talking rematch, rematch, rematch. But right now, it feels like not a whole lot of buzz for the rematch. So if Valentina had been found to have committed a foul, only then can you take away one or two points. Is that correct? Yes. Right? Yeah, it would have to be right. intentional in order right. to take away a point. No points would have been deducted, and it would have been a split draw, right. which is, is very interesting. Right. So, uh, all right, a couple other things I want to get to before we uh, get you on out of here. Have you heard anything about a return to Canada? You know, every time I hear a rumbling, and candidly, my bosses are pretty tight-lipped. Every time I hear a rumbling, it doesn't happen. Do you think that we're going to get back to Canada here at some point in, uh, in 2022 or what? Yeah, speaking of your bosses, I spoke to one of them last week, Dana White, and I asked Yay. him this very question because there were rumors about the UFC coming back to Canada, rumors that he himself had, had said publicly as well. So... This is the big issue, and this is why I don't think that the UFC is coming back to Canada for the foreseeable future until there's a certain law that's changed. Right now, athletes cannot get into Canada unless they are fully vaccinated, considered fully vaccinated. And that would eliminate, I think, a chunk of the UFC roster in terms of what they can do for a card in Canada. And you know how they're operating right now at the top of the UFC. They don't like these restrictions that, that are telling them how to run their business. Right, so right. if the... if the government of Canada doesn't change that or how, allow exemptions or just throw the rule out the window altogether, which could happen. Who knows in the next couple of months? I don't think that the UFC is going to come back to Canada until that is figured out. Yeah. And that would be the case for, for, for employees of the UFC as well. Right. I mean, they wouldn't be able to get into the country. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, yeah. I mean, I can tell you, I got boosted on December 31st, 2021, and I needed that booster shot to get into Singapore. I believe so. Um, so what's the monologue going to be on this week? Have you already done it? It's actually going to be called the Joanna log this week. And it's going to be oh. uh, kind of a tribute to her career and talking about how really while she gets a ton of credit, of course, for what she's done in the cage, what she do does outside of the cage, I think is equally impressive. The amount of media commitments that she always did. She went above and beyond the amount of sponsorship commitments, promotional commitments above and beyond. She always talks about the people behind the scenes at the UFC and how they are the machine that keeps this going. They're the engine that keeps the machine going rather. And she, she's talked about Susie, the, the makeup lady who I know you were very close with, who I, I met a, you know, a couple of times who passed away. She talked about her at the press conference. Like Joanna is just a salt of your human being. And I think that that part of Joanna needs to be um, amplified in addition to what she did in the cage. Did she help you get over your fear of heights? Cause I have a fear of heights as well. Did she help you? I didn't, I didn't get that end of the story. Did she? Kenny, I was in my garage today. And I climbed up a ladder to get to this. We have like a second level of our garage where we keep our stuff in storage. I climbed up that ladder and down that ladder without somebody holding that ladder. And five years ago, there's no chance I would have done that. Zero percent chance. So it, it, it helped. She helped me. She helped, yeah. she helped my life for the better. I love it. Uh, do, you, do you consider real quickly, because I have two more things. Do you consider Rose... Uh, or Joanna, like, do you have a greatest straw weight right now in your mind, or do you think it's just incomplete and and a waste of air right now? 
I think it's Joanna because of the strength of her championship run. Yeah. There's there has not been a single strawweight champion outside of Joanna that has had more than one title defense during their reign. So Rose has had two title defenses in two separate right. reigns, right? But right. um Joanna had five title defenses. Right. Right. So that's personally why I, I consider her to be the greatest strawweight of all time. And she was in her prime doing it. Rose is still quite a bit younger than Joanna, I believe. Right. So yeah. um, Rose yeah. still has a lot of time. And I think that that, that Esparza fight, I think, really did a disservice to Rose in terms of her legacy. Because going into that fight, I think, and I think I, I think I was on your show after that event. But I just thought Rose could beat her everywhere the fight went. In fact, I think if Carla took her down, Rose would have had a lot of answers on the ground. And I think that that kind of took away the tracks from her resume because that would have been. Because if you would have looked at the resumes, if she had beaten Carla, she would have had have beaten every single former champion that the strawweight division had had, you know, has had, right? Wow. So I think that that is a a big, you yeah. know, that's a really big thing. Yeah, you put it into the perfect context. I'm glad I asked. Right, the swing of that fight for Rose's legacy. You know, even if it was a good fight, right, and a loss, um, that's a huge swing for her. And I think as far as featherweight, it's sort of similar, right? I mean, Jose Aldo is a guy that I will put in that conversation, even though some people seem to want to make it a two-horse race with with Volkanovski and uh, Max Holloway. But it's crazy, right? Like, Volkanovski's got two head-to-head wins over Max Holloway. But don't sit here and tell me right now that Volkanovski don't forget is Connor. featherweight. I mean, Connor's run at featherweight. People forget, like... You can well, look at it but, in hindsight, but he was. I know, he was but you got to defend everybody. the belt. You have to, for me, yeah. to even Agreed. open the discussion, you need at least one title defense. All right, last question. Mm-hmm. Yuri Prohaska had a championship parade for the ages, and it did not take these people very long to congregate. Did George St. Pierre ever have anything resembling what Yuri Prohaska just got for breaking through and winning the title? Please tell me he did. I don't think he did in the streets. Like, I, th- I think that it was a big deal when he was the champion in Canada and the, the people of Quebec. If you went to the shows, so here's a story for you. Matt Hamill, who's, you know, most people know is deaf, said that when he went to a show, he was a guest fighter for a show in Montreal. And I think you might have done commentary for one of the shows in Montreal too, Kenny. Yeah, he did. He said that he felt the ground shaking. Like he, he can't hear anything, but he said that he has never felt anything like that before. He was in the arena and he felt the ground shaking when GSP came out. That's, that's what the ovation was like for him in Canada. And let me say this to piggyback on that about Canada. Okay. The loudest I have ever heard a mixed martial arts crowd with respect to England and Brazil and everybody else was when Shogun knocked out Lyoto Machida in Montreal. Ken Flo and I were there, I think on the desk, George St. Pierre wasn't fighting that night, you know? So I know we haven't been to Canada for a while, but I'm telling you the loudest mixed martial arts crowds per capita, are in the Great White North, and you, and you and called UFC is. 206 also, which had that cr- that was a did crazy not. card, and the I fans were not. crazy at, at that event. I uh, UFC 207 was uh, was when they passed me the baton. Um, ah, but, uh, sorry, but we're very that. thankful to uh, to have you on, and we're hoping to make this a monthly thing. If you have any creative names for a segment with AB, let us know. But uh, more from Aaron Bronsteader, of course, on social media. We obviously really appreciate your coverage and your time, and. Uh, Get back to those boys, the children, and uh, we will talk to you soon, my friend. Thanks for hopping on. Hey, I always appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, enjoy the rest of the show. There he is. Aaron Bronstetter with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. Yeah, greatest featherweight of all time. I just brought it up because Michael Bisping said 
it was a Holloway Volkanovsky race on the air, and it just got me thinking about Jose Aldo, and certainly the Connor folks get sensitive when you bring up that discussion. So, uh, all right, good stuff there from my man Aaron Bronstetter, who uh, is certainly a credit to the uh, MMA journalistic space. All right. It's time for the main event challenge. I don't need any fancy drop. Where's my boy, Big Gun Brian Petrie? I got to think by 6.23 p.m. There he is. Hey! What? Mm. <laughs> Let's go, boys! What's up? What's up? What's up? Oh, man. Jay, so, you um, okay? You hurt? I'm all right, Yeah, I'm all right. We got a lot of things to get to with you. Yeah. And then we will get to some uh, predictions for UFC Fight Night. Cater versus Emmett, but Joanna Janjacek in her post-fight interview with Daniel Cormier acknowledged the UFC staff. And I think what a lot of people don't quite realize, you know, is that we're, we're not a television network per se, but we run like one. And the, the kinship between fighters and staff is a really powerful thing. And you can be sure that our longtime listener and my dear friend Heidi Dean, who is one of our um, UFC employees, uh, is one of the people that, that Joanna Janjacek is referencing in that post-fight interview. So, Heidi got Joanna to make you a video. I don't know if Cody's yeah. going to roll it in. Hey, Brian, it's JJ. Thanks for the T-shirt. Uh, you know we all love uh, John. Great idea. One more sleep to go. Watch me tomorrow. So yeah. now you have that video so, of your yeah. crush, Joanna <laughs> Young, right? Check, right? And it just so happened to, to happen on the eve of like her retirement fight, you know, know. and Heidi got that for you. And uh, yeah, that was pretty special. She's the best. She sent me that. It was so funny. I was, I I usually watch the fights at home and I was going over to my buddy's house and I'm like leaving and the wife was taking the kids and yada, yada, yada. I get the message and my wife knows I have a crush on Joanna and she hears that. And my wife's like, who sent you that? What's that? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Heidi. You know, my wife loves Heidi. She's like, oh, I was like, Heidi sent this. And I'm like flabbergasted. Like, first time in my life, I'm fucking speechless. My wife's like, oh, what, are you going to marry her now? I'm like, okay, let's pump <laughs> the brakes. I said, Heidi was just, you know, whatever. And then, yeah, that was, I mean, I, I shared that with everyone I could. You know what I mean? I said, you know, I just, it was unbelievable that she did that. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was bittersweet that she went out there and, and did what she did and uh entertaining yeah. fight went out on a shield like no no other and i agree i think she's gonna be she's she's the greatest right now just because of the reign she had and the excitement that she had she never had a dud in there and the people she fought and i loved yeah. her just because of like she was the first one of the first female mma fighters that i could recall that really came in with this swagger with this like confidence with this shit talking that you know that yeah. only guys did she came in and did that and it put some people off because maybe some you know people were intimidated by that but i loved it i thought it was like this yeah. girl's fucking a savage this is what we need you know and uh yeah she'll yeah. always have a special place in my heart so uh, she's the yeah, best me too I used to crush on her hard. Not anymore hey. though. She's got a boyfriend. She's got a boyfriend now. I don't crush nah. I'm married. <laughs> I'm married too. But what was that boyfriend? He's like a soccer player or something. I don't know. I think he's not a, a fiance. That's the that's oh, the gap. Oh, not fiance. a fiance. Oh, he's a professional okay. volleyball player. Uh, but thanks to oh, Heidi Dean HD and thanks to uh, thanks to our executive producer Cody Merrow for the quick turn on that video as well. Cody Merrow doesn't always get the credit he deserves. Cody's uh, thanks, the best. Cody. Cody's the best. Um, all right, so before we get to the predictions, I, I have to ask you about Yuri Prohaska and, and Glover Teixeira. <sighs> and it sort, of, it sort of warmed the cackles of my hat when Aaron Bronstetter suggested that maybe it was the greatest title fight in UFC history because, you know, fuck, if I didn't feel like it was walking out of the Singapore Indoor Stadium, uh, what were you thinking about when you watched those I mean, two go at it for nearly 25? 
Unbelievable. I get that asked question a lot. I've been the MMA guy in my part of town since 15. And you, you get the right. same question when people don't know what they to talk to you about. What's your favorite fight? It's such a loaded question because I've seen them all. That's up there, man, because it had everything. It literally did. It had this, this 42, 43-year-old man who's not willing to quit. He could have fucking quit in that fight and be like, hey, I won the title. He didn't. He had every chance to win. He made a few mistakes. It got sloppy, which... Listen, I don't love the real slobber knocker brawls, the Leonard Garcia fights. Those aren't usually my favorite. This had enough sloppiness to it where both guys are exhausted and they're both trying. And then all of a sudden you see really high techniques compared to, uh, you know, some little bit of sloppiness. Like everyone's going to go back to the Glover. Why did he go for the guillotine? Well, because he's fucking, that's what he does. He's going for the finish. He wasn't thinking. He's like, I got this guy's neck. And then it just slipped off. And then there's a beautiful picture on Twitter where it was like, uh, Glover had Yuri mounted and was raining blows and Yuri's turned to the side. He had the huge cut. This was in the fifth round. And it said 75 seconds later, Yuri's the champion. It is the craziest sport. I was so proud to be an MMA fan on Saturday night with this yeah. sport. Yeah. I had buddies in the, where I was watching with who were or, or not really MMA fans blown away. Um, it, yeah, it's just, it's unbelievable what they, what they, what these guys did and the respect they need for both athletes is, is immeasurable. I mean, they're in, unbelievable. And you can be sure, like when we're talking about this fight afterwards and saying, like, I, I could all I was just like, holy, holy, yeah. this man. Like, I mean, it's dude, crazy. Like, Yuri's, built, I mean, they're both built different, but Yuri, I kept wondering what he, what the taps were, right? I'm like, dude, this guy's playing with fucking fire. Yeah. He keeps tapping, and he I told know. the ref, he told the ref, like, oh, I'm just congratulating him for hitting me with a big shot. Yeah, he kept telling him, <laughs> like, hey, that was that was big, but not big enough. You know what I mean? And I'm like, this dude's fucking next level. We always knew he was next level, and then seeing the Czech Republic come out and support him, and then Amazing. I kind of. I kind of knew it was over when they showed him walking in the arena with that kimono top on the, <laughs> the Steven Seagal special kimono top. I'm like, yeah. oh, this dude's fucking got it. Unbelievable yeah. fight. I, I mean, literally, yeah. I just it, it blew me away. It took me forever to fall asleep. I kept thinking about it. It was it was amazing. All right. Well, thanks to our intern, Will Berger and Cody, we have been able to update the standing. So, Cody, I don't know if you want to four box this motherfucker oh, right oh, now oh. And hop in here, but uh, it seems Cody, like numbers. Cody. Are pretty close. What are the yeah, numbers? Oh, really? Very. Yeah. What very are the numbers, cool. kid? What are the numbers? Numbers, kid. Fresh from fucking Waltham with some numbers for you. He just so, said Waltham. Waltham. Yeah. Waltham. Yeah. Waltham. 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 Oh, I mean, you're new. You're new. I love when your New Hampshire comes out because you have so much fucking hate for the New York Rangers as a Boston Bruins fan. Like this dude at Cody no, no, Merrill no. on Twitter been fucking banging on the New York Rangers, banging on the blue shirts every chance he gets. But it's Waltham. Oh, you say it's not the Rangers. It's not the Rangers that I hate. It's the Rangers fans that came out of fucking mm-hmm. nowhere. And mm-hmm. where have you guys been the last 10 years? I haven't seen you because sure. I haven't heard of you. Now everybody's a Rangers <laughs> fan. So not what uh, you came here for. What you came here for is some stats updates. So do you want to yeah. guess? Does anyone want to guess on who was one of the main I think Kenny's ahead. I think Kenny's ahead for sure. I don't uh, know. I have no idea. I really okay, don't. So Ke- Kenny I'm is ahead by okay. a net of 39 picks to 22. But okay. with the scoring system, Kenny is only up a net $107.13. So Kenny's Dude, total is $45.99.57. BP's total is $44.92.14. So there was a huge swing. I believe it was the Blahovich uh, fight. It was a huge swing yeah. for the odds. So that's the updated main event challenge, Danix. Right. Okay, good. Lock in. I'm locking in now. Here we go. All right. There it I'm is. A little- 
I'm a little confused as to how we got that, but I know we have a database. And again, I'm half in the bag right now, but I'm going to dive in and sort of give you some more numbers on that next week. But thanks to our guys behind the scenes for uh, grabbing the bull by the proverbial horns and getting that done. First pick for us today is going to be at middleweight. By the way, UFC in Austin, Texas this weekend. Main card on ESPN. Albert Durayev or Durayev? I don't fucking know. Minus 200. <laughs> Joaquin Buckley is plus 170. So Durayev won his UFC debut last October of UFC 267 against a very tough Roman Kopalov. Uh, was to face Anthony Fluffy Hernandez, I think, earlier this year, but he was forced out with a rib injury. Here he draws Joaquin Buckley, who has won two straight, courtesy of a split decision nod against Abdul Razak Al-Hassan back in February. Brian Petrie, you going Durayev the favorite or Buckley the dog? Classic striker versus grappler. We can't get away from it here in MMA. Uh, Durev is a guy who I circled when he came to the contender series. Um, his topology pitchers all time. He's like in front of a car. Like he looks fucking dope. Um, but, you know, he, he fought Kai Bittencourt, who's just okay. Then he fought Roman Kapilov, who doesn't have a win in the UFC. And he looked good. But I'm just like, the strength of the schedule is just not there. And he's getting this big love from Vegas because he's the Russian ragdoll machine. Everyone loves the Russians. They, you know, they, they're hard to beat. And Joaquin Buckley is, is typically a striker. But the problem with, with Durev, when you look at his record, you look at his fights, he's been lost. He's lost three times by knockout. Raman Zaviv knocked him out. And that guy can't punch his way out of a wet paper bag. And he has a knockout. Sorry, Amiv. I, I don't mean to shit, uh, shit you there. Ramazan Amiv is a listener. So. Okay, well, you know, let's go three-name Jack, babe. Um, Buckley fought a grappler based in Antonio Royal, and he had trouble in the beginning. Royal's a big guy for 85, not the wrestling that we have, but he has jiu-jitsu too. And um, Buckley did okay and then finished him late in the fight. But the one fight to keep coming back with Buckley is, is, is the capper does. You go back to 2019, he fought Logan Storley. He's a pure wrestler, and he, and he struggled mightily. However, Buckley has moved around a little bit, left Michigan, went to Vegas. He's explosive. He's in shape. His cardio is good. He has some three-round finishes. Big, explosive guy. You know, that's not an easy fight to cap because, you know, historically, and I'm making this completely up. I have no stats. Historically, you feel like the, the, the grappler gets the W most of the time over the striker, typically. However, you know, they don't call me dog the bounty hunter for nothing. I'm going the dog shot here. I'm chasing dogs. Woo! Give me the Buckley by KO. I think it's the only way he gets it done by KO. If he's a plus 180, he's going to have a nice little juicy plus number on the knockout as well. So give me Buckley by KO. I think he happens maybe in the second round. I like to handicap Kempflow. I do think some people, not just Brian Petrie, are going to be enticed at Buckley at that number. Others maybe will go chalk. What do you think about Duraya versus Buckley here on the main card? Did, did Petrie get the early evening espresso today? He's like, hey, oh, I'm ready. Oh, I'm ready, goodness. boys. Nice. I'm a night Listen, guy. I, I was hesitant picking this one. I, I was actually going the way of Duraya. Duraya. You know, you, whatever you I, want. I, what That's good. I sound like an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. But, you know, I, I do I do know that Buckley obviously is a very dangerous guy. Um, I, I think it's a tough matchup for him. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'm going to go the way of the grappler here. Uh, Durayev, Durayev, Durayev. Yeah, the Durayev. I got a little tongue twister. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> All right. Also on the main card, we will have Ken Flo lead us off here at welterweight. Kevin Holland, minus 220. Tim means business, plus 180. Holland coming off a stoppage win of Alex Cowboy Oliveira, uh, and this will be the first appearance on the other side of the year for Means after his bout with Jeremiah Wells in February was called off. I couldn't find out why. Um, so it's like a year-long layoff, essentially, for Timmy Means' business. Yeah. Um, but he's won three in a row, Ken Flo, and UFC appearance number 25 for Tim Means. Wow. How do you think it goes against the favored Kevin Holland? Man, I, I really like Tim Means. I, I've been watching him fight for a long time. I, I think he's a guy that is as tough as nails. 
um, and, you know, always fights really hard. But um, he's going to get the guy in Kevin Holland who has some really good momentum. He's been extremely active as of late. Um, also tall, lanky guy, um, you know, and I think that if you're going to beat someone like a Tim Means who comes forward like he does, you have to have some good counter shots. And I think Kevin Holland has some of those shots in his arsenal where he can catch Tim Means, maybe getting himself a little off balance, coming forward a little bit too aggressively where he can catch him there. Um, and I also think Kevin has a good shot of, of beating him on the ground as well. Um, I think if he can, if Kevin can weather that early storm, I think Kevin starts to pull away and maybe even gets a finish here against Tim Means. So I like, I like Kevin for the win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a pretty pretty fascinating matchup. Brian Petrie, who do you have here at Welterweight? Kevin Holland minus 220 or Tim Means plus 180 or so? I'm glad Kevin Holland can step away from being a superhero and stopping all the crime that he's doing to come back to fight. That's pretty dope. The move for 170, I love for Kevin Holland. I'm not a big advocate of weight cutting, but when you go in and fight these guys at 185 and you're weighing 183 on a full meal, you know, that might not be the best thing because Marvin Torrey and all these other guys, Derek Brunson, they're big fucking guys and they're going to muscle you down. And it's going to be a problem. So I think 170 is a really good spot for Kevin Holland. His biggest issue is his wrestling, which we all know he's trying to fix it, you know, but to means isn't really going to come in and wrestle. They're both very similar on the ground. The wrestling's going to not be great, but they can take a neck. They have good submissions. But Tim means this fucking guy. I mean, if you're in New huh. Mexico, they should put up a picture in New Mexico. Says, you want to be a fucking fighter? Find this guy because that's what this guy is. He's an absolute savage. He doesn't smile on the cage like Kevin Holland. He might talk to you, but he is an absolute savage. I've been a big fan of Tim Means for a while, you know, and I think this could be a very competitive fight because they're both very built similarly, but, and I want to go dog hunting again. Trust me, I did. I like this number. Um, Kevin Holland's only had one appearance at 170 right now against Charles Oliver, or uh, Cowboy Oliver, which first round was a little rough, and then he came out and finished second round, but uh, I think Kevin Holland's just going to be the bigger, explosive, more explosive guy here. I think he's better everywhere as well. Um, I, I hate saying that. I think Tim Means is very good in the boxing, but I think he pushes a little bit. I think Kevin Holland's very explosive. I like Kevin Holland by KO late. I think it's going to be very competitive. And I think Kevin Holland's going to land one of his, his classic, you know, counter, uh, not, excuse me, kind of one of his straights that he landed on like Buckley or something. Second, third round I'm looking at here, but I like Kevin Holland as well. All right, co-main event, Donald Cerrone minus 165, Joe Lozon plus 145. So the line on DraftKings Sportsbook right now is pretty similar to what it was back in May when they were initially scheduled to engage. I don't know if you guys remember which way you predicted or if you were going to change, but I'll set it up very quickly. 38th UFC fight for Cerrone. Last win, though, came against Raging Al. That was May of 2019. Uh, On the other side for Lozon, obviously he hasn't fought in a long time, but the last performance was a good one against Jonathan J.S.P. Pierce. That was almost three years ago and it was 14 years ago when Ken Flo absolutely fucking murked him in Broomfield, Colorado. Uh, Brian Petrie, Cerrone, or Lozon. <laughs> I was hoping you dropped that again because I remember picking this fight. It feels like it was like last week, but I- I'm not changing my pick. I picked Lozon back then. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to keep this short and sweet. My reasoning was Cerrone starts slow, Lozon starts fast. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, you know, man. so Lowe's on jumping on him early. I see a TKO happening. Um, I'm glad the UFC rebooked this. I don't want to see either of these guys fight anybody else besides maybe this legend division that we're talking about. Um, so good for the UFC for keeping this fight on the books. Um, but, yeah, I like Lowe's on early here. And this is a good live betting. I can't live bet my state. But if it gets out of the first round, you know, maybe maybe throw someone hedge out on Cerrone here. But official pick Lowe's on by TKO. So a lot of our listeners were seven or eight years old when Kenny fought Joe Lozon. And so every now and again, when I bring up some of Ken Flo's fights, these folks go on to UFC Fight Pass, and then they see that 
the I just saw a comment. Yeah. Yeah. I just saw a comment. The guy's like, dude, I didn't know Kenny. And they're like, he fuck, he's a savage on the throne. Bow and arrows at Kit Cope when Cope comes playing with a broken arm. Guy's a stud. Uh, Ken Flo, Lozon Cerrone. I know it looked like maybe at one point in time you would have fought Donald as well. That did not happen, but Cerrone or Lozon for you. You know, there's a spot in my house that if I get the timing right and I say boo at the right time, I always scare my wife. And that's how I feel like I'm the idiot. Every time you set up a Joe Lozon fight, I feel like I'm, you're saying it. I know. Surprise me with my, with my fight against him every single time. <sighs> every and I time. can't not laugh. But anyways. Uh, unbelievable. I even uh, rewrote this, it from three yeah. weeks ago to make sure that it was fresh. You know, you always you throw me <laughs> every time. I love it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, listen, both these guys uh, have so many fights, man, and and I'm sure dealing with some injuries and and you know some wear and tear over the years. So, um, you know, a fascinating fight again. Cerrone tends to be a slow starter. Lozon fast starter. I, I like that for Lozon here. Um, and from what I hear, Lozon's been, been training well. He's been training year round. He's been keeping busy both as a coach and as a fighter. Um, and uh, Cerrone, I know, has kind of been busy with other things. It seemed like he has his hands in everything. He's filming a movie. I don't know where his focus is right now. Uh, I'm hoping his he's healthy. I, I think this could be a fantastic fight for the fans. Um, but uh, I, I think Lozon's going to come hot and heavy in that early uh, early. Uh, round uh one and and kind of bring it to Cerrone and, and maybe get a stoppage uh, if it goes the distance I like Cerrone's chances but I think Lozon Lozon has enough to hold him off uh and at the very least get a decision win here all right Joe Lozon plus 145 right now we'll see where it closes and finally our featherweight main event could just secure a title shot for the winner of course Yair Rodriguez Brian Ortega figured to have something to say about that on ABC next month but uh fourth rank Calvin Cade at minus 225 taking on the seventh-ranked Josh Emmett, who is plus 185. As many of you know, Emmett returned from a lengthy injury absence. Last December, his left leg was just mangled, ACL, and that wasn't everything. Um, he outpointed Dan Ige over three rounds. Cater, of course, in a big way, muting his doubters with that main event win over Giga Chikadze in January that came on the heels of uh, a year-long layoff following the Max Holloway beating that is immortalized behind me um ken flow lead us off on the main event calvin cater the favorite and pretty pronounced here against josh emmett i love this fight you know listen i think josh emmett is extremely dangerous i think there's some good value on josh just his power alone uh makes him a big time problem he's not an easy guy to take down he's short he's stocky always comes in focused and ready um has a lot of knockouts uh, on his record um, but I, I think, you know, he's dealt with some hand injuries. He's dealt with some other injuries, uh, which has been unfortunate over the years. Um, curious to see how he comes out for this one. Um, but I think this is Calvin's fight to lose. Uh, I, I was just, again, blown away by not only his performance in that last fight, but how he came back and how he learned from that fight against Giga. Uh, so, um, you know, I'm a little biased here. Uh, I've trained with Calvin in the past. Um, and, and I think that... Uh, He's a kid that is going to go out there, have the right game plan. He's going to fight aggressively. He needs to use his reach. And if he is on the inside, use those nasty elbows, kid. Uh, and um, I, I think he I think he takes this one here against a very tough Josh Emmett. I think Josh Emmett might be 37 or 38 years old. And if he's able to beat Calvin Cater here as a near 2-1 to one underdog or about 2-1, to one, um, I think it'd be five straight wins. And you got to think you hold out for a title shot for Josh Emmett. I don't know. Um, 
How do you see this main event playing out, BP? Banger. It's a banger, boys. I mean, tough to follow from last night, but uh, I've been on the cater train for a while. I think this kid's special. He's 34, and I, I understand the year off in the max fight because the max fight was rough, but I, I would like to see if he gets a W here to turn and burn, stay healthy, get that strap season because uh, he's right there. He's one or two fights away. I think the kid's marketable. He's handsome. He's good looking. Um, he can speak well, and, and uh, you know, and, and he's from the city of champions. You boys like that. You know, they get the duck boats out of whatever you guys say. But um, the one thing that impressed me the most because I went back and watched the, the Max and the Giga fight. In the Giga fight, I was on Giga. I was very high on Giga. And it was a really good fight. And the one thing that he learned from Max, Cater that is, was when Max hit him and Max pieced him up, he would he was he, the dog came out on him. He bit his mouthpiece down. He's like, I need to get this one back. Made him a little emotional. Made him open up a little more. And Max picked him apart. In the Giga fight, Giga landed some good shots. And, and he just stayed calm. He didn't get emotional. He took a page from Max's book. You ever look at Max, besides the pointing in the middle of the cage, when he gets clipped, when he gets hit a lot in his fights, he stays calm. He stays within himself. Dustin Poirier, that's another thing that he's really learned in his career as well he got clipped and put down early he's admitted like hey when i fought connor both times he hit me hard and i thought he was gonna swarm me but you regroup you stay lax instead of biting down and letting that dog out you you kind of calm down and regroup let your legs get back let the ears stop ringing and cater really did that giga fight he dog walked you and i and i did not see that happen he looked very impressive cardio on point athleticism's there powers there and but josh Emma's no punk this guy's got big big power every time i think i want to count him out against a dan Ige or against whoever because i still think about the jeremy stevens fight unfortunately but the guy knocks everyone out he does he's got big big power but he is 37 and he gets hurt a lot it's like he fights he's gone away for a year he fights he's gone away for you so the time is ticking fortunately that's obviously not you know something that he can control with blowing a knee out and blowing an arm out or a hand or whatever so the powers on Emma's side and the cater, I think, is going to be a little more uh, fighting from the outside. I think the X factor here is going to be the wrestling. We haven't really seen Cater wrestle too, too much. I think he has great uh, takedown defense, and Emmett is a wrestler. He's coming from Team Alpha Male. Alpha Male. But I like Cater here. It's five rounds. I wish I would get him a little lower at like minus 155 or something, but I'm all yeah. over Cater here. I, I can't go opposite Ken Flo. Give me Calvin Cater. All right. The fellas like Calvin Cater this weekend. Pretty interesting main event. You can see it on ESPN prelims prior, I think, on ESPN2 uh, at Brian Petrie MMA if you want yes. more big gun in your life. Great to see you, brother. I think we're back in the Sunday slot next week. And uh, obviously, we got a stretch of 10 consecutive Saturdays with the UFC live events. We'll talk to you in less than seven days, my man. Awesome. Appreciate I'll you. see you, boys. There he is. Brian Petrie with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. You can also check out his show, the MMA Takes podcast. All right. We have arrived at the marrow seconds, which means that I am going to go downstairs and probably eat about 5,500 calories as soon as this segment is over. Um, it's good to see you, Cody. Good to see you, John. I'm glad the NBA held off for you. You know, they weren't about to do that to you last night. Games tonight. Celtics are going to go out there, and I actually think they're going to lose, but that's neither here nor there. I am going to have a you. massive four-figure wager on the Golden State Warriors tonight to try to purchase a win for the Seas. You may get, get me anxious now. Here I was about to, I, dude, you're New York Rangers venom, you know, um, calling them scumbags. Live your, live no, your lo- I'm telling you, I'm like, they sell out MSG, but I've never heard Rangers fans like they were this year. And I'm like, you got lucky. Like you got hot at the wrong time. And then you <laughs> lost to the lightning. Like that's just the long and the short of it. You're not Boston. That's what I'm saying. All right. What, 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 oh man, I love it. What do you have for us uh, before we bounce on out of here, kid? Well, I would love to see Glover headline MSG. That's what I want to see. Like, just give it to him. Just book it already. Can I just say, so when Aaron Bronstetter brought that up, I do believe that is the move, right? Because even though maybe Kenny Glover is in shape enough and willing and hungry enough to fight like twice more, 
all he really wants is a chance to fight at Madison Square Garden right now. And but I think it's sort of it's asking a lot of him in that moment at moment after that fight to say, let's run it back at Madison Square Garden. I'm sure he's still putting all the pieces together. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I do hope that Glover, you know, tries to sort of advance that narrative in the next few days. Go ahead, Cody. Well, so Kenny and I talked about that before the show. And I, I said, you got to just tell him, listen, like if you if you win an MSG, you only get one more and we're going to Brazil. And we're going to just blow it out like Glover and Minas. Why not? Yeah. Well, I think he's a little bit lukewarm to it, I think, is the only reason. Well, he's an American now. He's more American than he is Brazilian now, right? Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe from people from Brazil have my head for that. But get into the marrow seconds here. Uh, Yoni and Jacek, fantastic career. Uh, First and wins tied with Carla. Um, Rose... and Tisha are in third with nine. So you feasibly think that those guys are probably going to take over that number one spot in the flyweight or strawweight division. Six title fight wins. Rose has four. She has the longest win streak of all time. Eight. Uh, Carla has six. Yanon has six. And uh, Suarez has five. Of the 32 recorded categories that I spoke about last week for Glover, Yoana's in the top 10 of 18 of those categories, including the number one for takedown defense of all time in the division. So yeah. a lot and of interesting stuff. Fight. That eight fight winning streak, sorry to interrupt, that counts for something, you know, and six and four in UFC title fights, right? She started six and oh in UFC title fights, won the belt, defended five times, and then lost four straight title fights, two to Rose, one to Zhang Wei Li, and of course, up a division against Valentina Shevchenko. And a tough run for ATT too, I mean, championship wise, just not not a very good stretch there. You hope they can get yeah. back on the course. But a very interesting stat that I got from uh, Jay Petrie, Jay Petrie, I don't know how to say his name, over at Sherdog. Uh, so you want to walk out to dream on. She usually doesn't walk out to that song. It's the second time she's walked out to it. The second time she's lost when fighters walk out to the song dream on, they only win 25% of the time. So something worth thinking about there. Big <gasps> Steven Tyler fan. He's got a house in Lake Sunapee. Uh, but yeah, not a good walkout song if you're picking. So word to the wise there. Walking, you didn't think you were getting a Lake Sunapee reference on the podcast. <laughs> <if they're- laughs> Miracle, great movie too. If you want to pop that on Disney Plus, Uh, Jiri moves this 97% finish rate with the finish. He hasn't gone to a card since 2016. Uh, His victory with 28 seconds left is the fifth latest stoppage in UFC history. And unfortunately for Glover, he's the only fighter to ever lose twice in the fifth round of a UFC fight. Wow. So legendary in that loss column too, as well. So that's more power to him given the MSG fight. This guy just makes records. Uh, John, you were, you're on the road, you know, seemingly every weekend, but this one was tough. Boca Raton to Singapore is 10,497 miles. That's huh. one in okay, nine tenths yeah. times as long as the great wall of China. Wow. All right. That's two and a half it's times awkward. as long as the Amazon river. Wow. Uh, the pretenders would have to walk 500 miles, almost 21 times to <laughs> get to you. Oh man. Uh, That's- and that's tough, right? And uh, I would, it just comes around. If you watch How I Met Your Mother, it just yep, comes yep. back around. <laughs> Man. Last but not least, Usman Edwards is official for UFC 278. It's relevant to this program because, as we know, Bilal Muhammad, top five uh, UFC welterweight. Hopefully going to be some fights happening now in that division now that that's booked. Um, you know, similar to most people in the UK, maybe. Uh, Leon Edwards stated today he doesn't know where Utah is. So... You know, America 2-0 and against the UK in wars, now going to be 3-0 and in geography, I guess, according to that. So no American Edwards. know where Utah is either, by the way. Yeah. Unless you're Mormon. Yeah. If you're Mormon, you yeah. definitely know where Utah is. But yeah, yeah might yeah. want to learn yourself up, Leon, if you're going to go there. And I, I'll be 
I'll be interested to see if that fight happens. It's coming up soon. Usman, it is fresh soon. off the hand history, injury. Yeah. Who knows if he's at full. So if you're a UFC welterweight, I'd be ready. That's all I'm going to say. I like that. Good stuff, Cody. And if you are going to Utah, not a great place for al alcoholics, incidentally. Sometimes it's hard to get a drink out there. But uh, it is beautiful. I mean, I went there for the uh, Yair Rodriguez, Alex Caceres main event. Back in 2016, went on a hike with Brian Stan. I mean, that is that's God's country, man. It is absolutely gorgeous, and I think Leon's going to know uh, know where Utah is shortly. But I'm glad he's getting the title fight, and uh, certainly for Bilal Muhammad and the rest of the welterweight contenders, good that that division is moving along. All right, we got to get on out of here. Thank you to our guests, Aaron Bronsetter, Ray Longo, Brian Petrie. The latter two, not really guests, you know, they're family. AB increasingly so. Uh, and thanks to our executive producer, Cody Merrow. Thanks to all of you. Uh, don't forget, merchandise can be had at anaclorianpodcast.com. The One More Sleep merch is only at millions.co. And for Ken Flo's jiu-jitsu stuff, it's at kennyfloriandmartialarts.com. There's a lot more than that. kennyfloriandmartialarts.com. And we'll be back with you this Sunday night, about six days from now, uh, to recap UFC Fight Night, Cater versus Emmett. Hope you enjoyed the UFC 275 recap. Great to be back in the United States of America. For Ken Flo, I'm John Anik. We'll talk to you on Sunday night. Until then, yo later. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.